Welcome to episode 24 of Cinemazing Chats. We did Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I'm Pablo. And I'm Erica. And joining us for this special is my wife, uh, Janet. Me, Janet. <laughs> Janet Quadrado. And you might also occasionally hear sounds from our guest star, the baby. Uh, we wanted to do this movie just to keep talking about some uh, misfires and films that probably could have been better, but something behind the scenes clearly went terribly wrong. <laughs> so this is seemingly an entry in the film where they sort of try to jettison everything that came in the original film and everything that worked that people really enjoyed about the first movie and just thought to themselves, hey, maybe we can just do something completely different and have that succeed. And they also uh, began the unfortunate trend of making prequels to things, which nobody asked for. Like, nobody really cared how Indiana Jones became Indiana Jones. It was more just like, he's already cool, just let him have adventures. Um, okay, I honestly had no idea this was a prequel until I read the Wikipedia right before this chat. <laughs> right, that's the thing when that's When did they say that? It. Yeah. Uh, so I honestly, like in my house, my dad was a huge Indiana Jones fan. And for some reason, this was his favorite one. So <laughs> I've been watching this movie, I want to say at least annually since I can remember. And I didn't know it was a prequel until Pablo told me like last year. Uh, well, yeah, I also watched this film a lot growing up, um, but for some reason we always watch the TV version and they always cut out the good bits. <laughs> like, I feel like I never watched the minecart race, which is probably the coolest part. Um, what kind of monsters cut out the minecart race? It's like the made for adventure ride part of the movie. It's the part that kids like the most. Yeah, that's definitely the main attraction. Is this, uh, so was this one so different from the others because did George Lucas have more power or something in this one? <laughs> that must have been it. Uh, but yeah, the fact that it's a prequel hardly even matters. Like it never really comes up in the narrative. It's just kind of could be any time. I think mainly they did it because that way he wouldn't be with Marion, as you would assume from the end of the last film. And plus they can introduce Short Round and have him disappear inexplicably. For some reason, I thought that they did this movie like it was chronological for the longest time. And they just wanted a break from Nazis. That like, could have also thought, been it. I thought, no, I thought Indiana Jones himself was like, I need to get away from these Nazis. I need a vacation <laughs> from fighting all these Nazis. I'm going to another country. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the intro was bizarre when they're just, like, in Shanghai out of nowhere. Uh, for some reason, when I was young, I assumed it was maybe, like, uh, in Japan or something. Like, I guess I just assumed the Nazi thing would continue. But, no, no, they're actually in Shanghai. So, this being a cold open, uh, we have no idea why Indiana Jones is there and what he's really doing. And just comes out over the course of the, uh, you know, very episodic moments that he's trying to exchange uh, some artifacts for jewels. And to be honest, I think we never really get the answer to that question. <laughs> it's never, like, it's, an, uh, it's a thread that never gets picked up again. Oh. And, like, the question of why is he in China and why is he getting these jewels, like, it never gets answered, really. And it seems like, to me, the only reason they did it was to pick up Short Round. Right. Mm, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I forgot that he was on a different mission before the temple plot. 
<laughs> right. Uh, oh, and I also realized while watching it this time that it's very similar to uh, the James Bond movies, how all those movies, he has some like unrelated adventure before the main story begins. So in a way, I think they were trying to kind of play with the idea of having an American James Bond rather than British made. Uh, and also well, he's wearing like suits in the start of this one. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, uh, if he's supposed to be from the U.S., it's just like way grosser than the than James Bond. Way less right, the suave. Unsuave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uncouth version of James Bond. <laughs> Well, that's one of the main problems I have with this one versus the first one or the third one uh, in this trilogy <laughs> is that uh, for whatever reason, I feel like Indy really acts out of character. Like he's just kind of violent and just kind of grabbing uh, the love interest in this one a lot and being like a very like macho man. When I feel like in the first one and the third one, the things we loved about him was that he's like smart. He's resourceful. He's like a professor. He actually knows what the hell he's talking about. He can like puzzle his way out of problems instead of just like always going gut feeling. So this was basically back when he was young, dumb, and full of... Right, I mean, that's the implication. Well, but no, on the Wikipedia, it's only the events only occur a year before Raiders of the Lost Ark. What? This one's in <laughs> oh, 1935. <laughs> I was young back then. Uh, that's really dumb. I didn't realize that. A year before the Nazi stuff. I grew oh, so much. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, he said in the beginning, he said something like, I spared his life, maybe in that convert early conversation. And I was like, aren't you an archaeology professor? And like, maybe he's doing black market dealings. I have no idea. Right, he might be playing it up. But yeah, he's like, I let them leave with their foolish lives. It's like, what is this guy, a fucking assassin? Hold on. <laughs> I think I think I found a thread, a connection. Maybe they didn't leave all the Nazis behind because I noted in the opening scene all of the showgirls um, in the Shanghai club were blonde and very Germanic looking. Mm. And I wrote in my notes, where did they get so many Nazi showgirls in Shanghai? Oh. That's a good point. <laughs> Including Kate very Capshaw, true. who's very inelegantly introduced in this sequence uh, when she <laughs> sings... Anything goes. Anything goes in a, like, in almost like a Chinese, Chinese musical. I think, yeah. I'm not sure yeah. exactly. I mean, you could definitely tell that Spielberg was just like, I want to record a like throwback musical number, and this is where I'm going to put it. <laughs> Which, honestly, not a bad way to start a movie, but I don't know. Basically, everything about Cape Capshaw, you're like, she definitely just got the job because she was sleeping with the director. Oh, wait, who's the director? Uh, Steven Spielberg. So basically oh, yeah. on this movie and all the India other Indiana Jones movies, it's always a story by George Lucas and usually written between the two of them and then directed by Spielberg. And produced by Kathleen Kennedy. Oh, do you yeah, think they've had any threesomes or what do you think their relationship is? <laughs> <laughs> yep, she's the sloppy third. No, no. <laughs> oh. uh, or greasy third. Wheel, Maybe she's the sense. videographer or something. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. She's a videographer. <laughs> that's just on the corner. Um, uh, sorry, what yeah, were you saying? A very out, it's a very <laughs> out-of-character opening, I think, for the series. Mm-hmm. We actually uh, re-watched the first one and the third one in preparation for this. It's also just like, in the first one in particular, it's very realistic-toned. Like, everything is obviously, like, really uh, overblown, but the, the like, um, special effects and stuff, it's all just, like done realistically whereas in this one they go the complete opposite direction it's like everything is super over the top 
everything is like some disgusting monkey brain soup. <laughs> it's like a cartoon physics world. Right, and Short Round is definitely, uh, you know, an audience surrogate. Uh, we're going to have the kids in this movie so they can feel like they have some part in the adventure. Mary Sue type character, but he's actually done pretty well. Like, throughout the film, he's actually the one who's using his intelligence. He's using his wits. He's kind of inheriting some of that Indiana Jones flavor that's maybe missing from the main character. Arguably the smartest character in the whole movie, to <laughs> be honest. True. Like, yeah. he keeps repeating stick with me dr jones and you'll live longer and i feel like that was a warning i think that yeah. was true he we knows believed him yeah he knows that they're all the others are incompetent right he's like oh god i'm gonna have to save us all again <laughs> just out of this one what happens in the intro that links the lady with indiana jones i don't even know why they're together now that i think about oh it. i mean after that first scene she should just go her separate way and just like walk off into the night there's absolutely no reason why she continues traveling with him <laughs> oh, he no. steals her <laughs> and she's oh like fine God. with it indy bought her <laughs> just like wow. he did short round he just like of... goes around threatening to buy people it's <laughs> part of the exchange the diamond and the antidote and all that shit and we'll oh talk about God. this a little bit later but there's definitely 100 percent a pro-colonialist message in this movie mm -hmm. which is bizarre as fuck and also let's just say it off the bat this movie's racist as fuck yeah and for the 80s it's like a bit much oh yeah we should have a content warning on like this uh has a lot of yeah racism in it. <laughs> it's uh definitely not aged very well it's it's arguably like even worse than like what's that guru movie that, the love guru the love guru thing it's like over the top with the whole a lot of things it's not even just one kind of it's like all different <laughs> kinds of racism yeah, mixed together even in this intro with like the different faces and like character types you see in this club which is by the way called club obi-wan <laughs> um yeah oh my gosh yeah and then it has like a terrible dynamic between the two white people too like she's just some anxiety ridden lady like oh yeah very stereotypical right <laughs> just there for the looks which by the way i feel like there was a lot of like either nudity or like i don't know some sort of very male gazy scene in this Oh, yeah, I even wrote a note that, like, there's a scene where the elephant splashes her with water, and it's because she has a white shirt on, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so I will say uh, this intro has a very Casablanca vibe, which is, like, very classy, but uh, it immediately devolves into an action sequence. And the action in this movie definitely isn't bad. Like, it's probably one of the, like, highlights, but it's also uber-violent for no reason. I think uh, Indy just, like, blows someone away, just, like, shoots him in the head. Which is very much in keeping with the other movies, but um, like it's not like Han Solo where you're like, oh man, did he shoot first? It's like, no, Indiana will definitely shoot you <laughs> if you fuck with him. <laughs> Don't get in his way. <laughs> you have to bust out of the club after some antics where he tries to get an antidote for some poison that they fed him. All these like, avoidable <laughs> problems. He could have just not had the drink. Oh my and then, God. of course, uh, Short Round is there to save them, and they have some rickshaw antics. I feel like he's kind of magooing his way through this beginning part, too, because <laughs> doesn't it turn out like his escape plane is also owned by the people that tried to poison him? Like they reveal that last name. It's like the last name of the guy in the club. 
Lou Pinsley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like laughing. I don't know. Oh, Lao Che. Lao Che. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they end up in that whole airplane scenario where he has to pretend to know how to fly, but then they crash. Mm-hmm. Crash the plane and jump out and all that fun stuff. It's magooing, I would think. And by the way, the writers are always working overtime to make sure that characters drop their guns or like are somehow disarmed immediately. It's like constantly uh, reversing audience expectations. Uh. I also felt like maybe they're trying to just do the Han and Leia dynamic again. It's just like, uh, I hate you, I love you, will they, won't they, bullshit, mm. over and over again. Very true. Yeah, that is what it is. I guess Lucas loves that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and if not for that lady's anxiety, he wouldn't have even noticed that there was no one piloting the plane once they exactly. had bailed because he was just napping. Yeah, another example where Indiana Jones has suddenly been taking, like, stupid pills between these two entries. Yeah. <laughs> or reverse, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he is, he did, cool. he's just magooing, yeah. Oh, I did like uh, one thing about the nightclub scene is at one point they drop a fuck ton of balloons and I'm just like, oh man, this is Steven Spielberg's secret balloon fetish. Uh, as oh, opposed yeah. to Lucas, who we all know has a duck fetish for sure. 100%. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does, huh? Huh. He's like, I need there... some duck ladies in this one. Wasn't there some sort of like foot crushing scene and um, when people are trampling them out of the club. I wrote something about a foot fetish. Like they're zooming Didn't in on their that feet. One. Okay. Oh, that thing where they're just kicking the diamond around with the ice. And, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like a lot of foot shots. <laughs> yes. It's pretty fun. Foot so stuff. I will say, uh, just talk about the strengths of Spielberg for a moment, that he does have a good way of uh, conveying exactly what's going on. Just like very clear, clean visual storytelling. Uh, maybe not in this one so much, but in the other ones, he also just does a good job of, like, you know exactly what his characters are thinking because they show you and they tell you mm-hmm. what they're thinking. Again, not in this one. This one has no subtlety at all. <laughs> Let's see. There's some sort of chicken gag in the plane. Uh, I felt terrible a, for them. Yeah, there's a low air pressure warning. Uh, they're all very animely, like, we're crashing, like, running around scared. <laughs> oh, like yeah, an and they, all they use to save themselves is a um, raft. <laughs> right, exactly. More of those cartoon <laughs> physics we were talking about. Yeah. Just, like, somehow we would survive this and just slide down a mountain and everything would be fine. That totally messed me up as a kid. I totally believed the physics of that. And I didn't like it didn't lead to any particularly dangerous behaviors because we didn't get the chance to jump out of planes or anything. But (laughs) had I for many years there, I might have. It's dangerous stuff. It's not for kids. Tonight on Mythbusters, the Mythbusters die. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, I'm pretty sure like they're like during the shots of them, like falling out of the plane with the with the raft. You can clearly tell it's like dummies. Right. It's like not even super amazingly done. Yeah, and in the Minecraft scene, you can definitely see there's a little like dolls instead of people. Right. Yeah, it's done to like the quality of like what you might expect from Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. The comedy. <laughs> For some reason, I feel like it wasn't supposed to be funny in the context of this movie. Whatever. Yeah. 
I will say in general, there's good stunt work in this movie and the series. Just like uh, when they do finally crash down, they're like sliding down the mountain and avoiding rocks and trees and stuff. And that's like actual stunt work. You can see the stunt people that obviously aren't Harrison Ford and the other uh, actors. Mm-hmm. So this whole series always has like good usage for stunt people. Oh yeah, some people are doing what they're told, but like it's not their fault that the writing's bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that actually the stunt reminds works me... great. <laughs> Right, no, that's just, like, actually, uh, episode one, which I read, like, had all these elaborate, like, sets and, like, 50,000 costumes and, like, invented languages and all this, like, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff that no one would ever notice, and it was all in service of, like, a crap movie, but that was the tangent. Yeah, I don't know what it is about prequels. They always suck. Can we talk about the rough, and I mean, like, rough transition from the whole... China plot thing to just literally crash landing into the main plot of the movie like that it's like so disconnected and it almost doesn't make any sense why they included that first part of the movie at all because it doesn't service the plot the rest of the movie at all (laughs) and it doesn't tie back and, and it doesn't tie back ever again in any of the movies that come after it and I say, why even do that? Just have the whole movie be set in Shanghai. I think that would have been way better. We could have like had more elaborate sets or something. I don't know. Or started after they crash landed. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, he could have just gone to India for some reason. <laughs> He's like, for no reason at all, I'm going to go buy an airplane ticket to India. Bum, ba-dum, bum, ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, 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 bum. He's like, here I it would have been easy. <laughs> professor reasons. He's a fucking archaeology professor. He wanted to professor it No, up. Janet. He has to do black market dealings <laughs> involving a diamond and something else. <laughs> the first emperor something or other. And that's yeah, how he gets to India. He's just stealing artifacts from people and he's on the run. Whatever. <laughs> they crash landed in this place and then fast forward to later on in the scene when they get to the castle with the British people installed he suddenly knows all about whatever the hell they have going on over there he's like an expert in everything makes yeah. no sense i'm sick of it too baby yeah he's a genius and he'll, he's great in battle he's just great at everything he's super cool the women love him he's got a big dick <laughs> goddamn know-it-all but that's what i liked about him in the other movies he should be a know-it-all he should be like uh what's that sapiosexual like that everyone's like into it or whatever he's a know-it-all in the other two movies and it makes sense because it implies he has a specialty in his field of archaeology around you know whatever christian nazi stuff um in the occult but this this whole like (laughs) thuggy cult made up history british british like fortresses and History from like a completely different place and period in time. Mm. Find it hard to believe. And he didn't have the internet. And the worst part is he didn't have the internet. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, how did he just show up there and he was just like reciting everything about them? Yeah, exactly. Reasons. Uh, what was his fortune and glory quote? Is that what his goals were? Oh, yeah. That's when Short Round asks him, basically, like, why are we doing this, Indy? And he's just like, fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. 
But I think that was an answer to like, um, basically they're scared of like going to do this mission uh, to confront an evil god. But then suddenly Indiana Jones hears about these sacred stones and he's like, I just want to steal those stones now. It's like a kleptomaniac. It's a series about a kleptomaniac. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that what he wanted to do? Oh. I actually thought he wanted to give them back to the people. See, like, that, we need to clear this up a little bit because they crash land in this, like, I guess, inconveniently destitute village who's involved in this complicated plot involving their sacred stones that give life to their whole region being, you know, snatched up by some evil people in a palace not that far away, <laughs> along with their children for some reason. And and what we slave can, labor, that's the reason. We can get oh, to the later. slave labor in a minute, but <laughs> but like just that premise. So out of that, he he found himself in that situation, and and we're thinking, Indiana Jones is like, I want to steal those magic rocks. <laughs> right, it's the only thing on his mind. What can okay. he steal? Um, I just wanted to say that the child trafficking in this village is paralleled by Indy child trafficking short round. Exactly, and then the short round and the prince even become friends. But this is also, by the way, after they survived falling off of two separate waterfalls, at which point uh, an ancient Indian man just discovers them, which is also kind of like a stereotype. He's just like, mm -hmm. I'm wise, and I know about destiny and karma and stuff. And you're going to go do this Indiana Jones for your mortal soul or some bullshit. Oh, my God. Oh, also, by the way, in the first movie, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones has some line about how he had never had some experience that taught him about the supernatural or made him question, like, rational thought. Basically, he thought it was all bullshit in that one. But he obviously did have one, and they never show him, oh like, losing God. his memory or anything. So he obviously knows that magic is real and all this shit happens. Oh, my gosh. Why did they make a prequel? <laughs> when I knew your father, he was a great pilot. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, George Lucas? He's a little boy. He's a little boy. <laughs> There's also lots of fucked up stuff with uh, human organs in this movie, but that comes out later. Yeah, that comes out later. So they crash land in this village. The villagers explain, oh no, like our sacred rock is missing. We're super hungry. We're starving. Um, all our children have been stolen to help us. And suddenly they know where to go how do they know where to go it's the white man's burden they just know better oh my god well no i thought i thought something indicated where to go wait, i think wait, the, they were told where to go was it oh i remember there, a little kid randomly shows up right oh yeah at some point with like a little cloth of some sort and he just, like, oh, yeah. uh, wheezes the location to Indy. He intuits. <laughs> Uses his analytical skills to process the cloth fibers and oh runs it under the analyzing machine. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Some legend about people falling out of the sky, so this guy's like, oh, it must be you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, they talk about Sankara a bunch. And by the way, I'm very sure that the religious portrayal in this movie is also extremely problematic. It has to be. Mm -hmm. Of which thing? Just the way Def they use Kali Def and cult. Shakti and like, I don't know, just all these references. I feel like they must be super offensive. Oh, are we talking about the cult? Yeah. 
Oh uh, man, the cult is so racist. Like that whole thing is racist <laughs> as fuck. Um, I so I looked this up because I had that suspicion too, and apparently, like the word thug and the thuggy cult in general, like the portrayals, not only steeped in colonialism but have been reappropriated into a racist context today um, from their original. So originally, it was this group of basically highway robbery people, like men, um, in India. And there's, like, a lot of debated stories about, like, the origin of where these people basically came from. Like, some people think they're leftovers from an army that was, like, dismantled, and then they started robbing people on the streets or whatever. But essentially what happened was, like, in the 1830s or something, the British, there was a British story that was widely circulated in all the British colonies that depicted the thuggy cult as this like radical cult of killers. And like in, in actuality, they weren't like bloodthirsty people. Their whole code was that they didn't want to spill blood. They just wanted to rob people. What? Um, but in this story from the 18 whatever the fucks, um, they were depicted as like these Kali worshiping bloodthirsty killers mm. who wanted to please their evil God. So then they, that was used as, as an excuse to malign them Kind of like in the way, I, I guess, like gyp gypsies, like the Romani era maligned across Europe and like, you know, kill them <clears throat> racistly. And then it got, you know, reappropriated to talk about, I guess, what we think of as thugs and quote unquote hip hop culture today that has its own yeah. set of problems. We don't have to go into that part, but just wanted to note all of the depictions in this movie are basically from that 1830s shit. <laughs> And it's not right. Well, yeah, with like the first movie, they were definitely trying to recreate the style and uh, stories from 1930s serials of like other adventurers like Alan Quartermain. Uh, uh. And I'm just like, maybe they looked at what they did for the first movie and they're like, we didn't put enough racism and that's the element we forgot. We forgot all the like racist portrayals of different groups of people <laughs> from those movies from the 30s. <laughs> that's what needs to be remembered from that the 30s. That was the secret ingredient. <laughs> Oh no. Was okay, was Flash Gordon a thirties thing too? Is this just like George Lucas's favorite time period? Yeah, uh, but you can even read like conversations between him and Steven Spielberg where they like discuss uh this movie in detail, uh Star Wars in detail. Like they're definitely uh intentionally like trying to call back to some of these uh old movies and different uh novels and different material. And they actually do it in a clever way where they think about, like, the power of mythology and how, uh, you know, visuals and audio can affect uh, an audience member. They're, like, thinking through the rhetoric and all that of the movies. And that's opposed as to today when they just feed it into a machine and then, like, some cold al algorithm spits something out. That's what we have now mm -hmm. with movies that rhyme with pies of my walker. <laughs> we just have cold, unfeeling uh, algorithms pumping out what they think should happen based on audience expectations and reactions. Oh, have you seen Carol and Tuesday? It's about that. But it's music. It's AI making... AI's making music. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there is some nice cinematography, like in the scene with the fortune and glory. Uh, they just do a nice like shot of Indiana looking over the village. Of course, he's towering over it. Uh, and then we see some nice scenes of them traveling through palm trees on the back of elephants. And I'm like, it's definitely not a Beverly Hills backlot. No, it's not. And they have some really <laughs> impressive bat 
footage too. I know. Oh yeah. Okay. I was like, bats that won't go away. I counted <laughs> several. I want to say several ah. more than the fingers on my hands ah. shots of bats back and forth. <laughs> uh, maybe they were repeating some of those shots, but I noted it. Appreciate it. And it's definitely a recurring motif. Like eventually, we figure out it's connected to whatever this dark cult is doing. But at first, we're just like, well, who, what the fuck are these bats, and why do they keep biting people and like flying ominously in the sky? It's just Dracula's castle. And in the middle of the day. Right. Uh, it's a lot of like ominous imagery of just like red skies and bats flying. And they're on elephants for some reason. And this is when the uh, wet t-shirt contest happens uh, with Kate Oh, Capsule, yeah. <laughs> where the elephant just like pisses off, uh, or Willie pisses off the elephant who splashes her with water. Can I ask about the depiction of her character, Kate's character? Because in my notes... I wrote ridiculous character, functionally useless. <laughs> like I don't feel like this. Like they even tried to develop the character at all. Is this like a hallmark of the style he was going for? Do you think this was just like lazy writing? I don't really understand. Like every other female character in the Indiana saga, I'll, I'll even count the fourth one. Has like what fourth uh, one? some agency or purpose of their own, like uh, in their own right. This character, the Willie character, what the hell is she even there for? Like, it doesn't make any uh, sense that she's there, as we've already uh, stated. But as the movie progresses, it becomes more and more of a conundrum. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, it's especially insulting after uh, in the first movie we have Marion uh, Ravenwood, who is extremely smart, who is extremely uh, self dependent. Uh, who does puzzle her way out of problems as well, who's almost as big a protagonist in it as Indy is. Uh, so it's just, like, insulting to go from that character to this one, who is just, like, very uh, helpless, I guess. Uh -huh. Very diva-ish. I, I pretty much just decided that she has, like, clinical anxiety or something. I don't know. That was my, like, explanation for her behavior. Well, yeah, it's uh, clear that she's been thoroughly indoctrinated and she's just, like, acting out this complete gender role, but uh, I don't know if it really adds to the movie. Steven Spielberg's just like, I want you to write uh, Kate Capshaw into this movie. It's just, like, literally her exact personality. Just literally her just improving. Harrison Ford's like, what the fuck is this? Do you think she's really that bad IRL? I hope not. Oh, I'm sure as a person she's lovely. I don't know. But she should have just been an actress just for this one movie. I don't even know if she did anything else. Probably not, though. There's some scene uh, that's pretty stupid with Short Round and Indiana playing cards. And while it's happening, Willie's, like, encountering literally every type of creature in the forest, like bugs and the bats again and other Jim Henson's creature creations. Delightful. <laughs> Here we do hear the story of Sankara when they get to the uh, palace which is all about these five stones uh, that are really cool, yo. We do see the Death God statue, which is surrounded by uh, dismembered fingers and more bats. What was <laughs> up with the like fingers? Cool mounds. Why'd they have fingers there? It's random, right? Well, it's kind of, uh, I guess, to build up the association with like uh, bloodthirsty and human life hating and uh, human sacrifices. Feels racist for some reason. I feel like it ties into like 
the depiction of the food scene that comes shortly after. Yeah. Uh, again, all the sets and artistry and backgrounds and stuff are really nice. Uh, well done to that department. There should have been a lot more dancing. Uh, I think that scene was also cool. Instead of doing the whole uh, anything goes sequence from the beginning, we could have just started with some good old fashioned belly dancing or whatever. Also very Jabba's palace. Which is more racist, a white person doing belly dancing or singing anything goes in Chinese? Oh, well, the scene I'm thinking of, I think they actually did have Indian actors, but definitely oh, okay. uh, anything goes. Okay. Yeah, that one wins the award. So we have this dinner scene, and we have this horrible little despot child. And by the way, half the cast, you find out, only at the end of the movie, are being like brain con uh, mind-controlled, essentially, by this uh, evil god. So we can just like retcon all their bad actions and be like, oh, that never happens. Don't I blame the god. Blame the weird blood that they're drinking all the time. Right. Uh, they probably have brain prions or something. What? Trump's oh like, God. I was being taken over by a dark god the whole time, and that explains my actions. Uh, we meet several characters here. There's Captain Blumhurt. Uh, there's the Prime Minister, who seemed like a nice guy, but then he also turns out to be like either mind-controlled or just evil. Wait, who? Just the Prime Minister, who's also in this scene. Oh. Uh, he's like wearing glasses. He's kind of like a Bond villain almost, or maybe like the Bond's uh, villain, second-in-command, number two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. I read him that way too. He's like a number two type. And maybe one day, number one. He looks very much like uh, Dr. Evil or something. Here's where we first learn about the thuggy cult and how they worship Kali. And how maybe that's not cool. Maybe it is cool. It's weird yeah. that, also a side note, the Willy character is like made out to be such a big gold digger that she's like hitting on this child, like Padme Anakin oh, yeah. style or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it made me really uncomfortable. Oh yeah, oh my god. A whirlwind romance between this small child and this grown woman. <laughs> oh no. What oh, comedy. What comedy stylings we've served up for the people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this movie has a lot of dumb, gross-out humor, uh, almost as if it was targeted more towards kids. We have this whole scene where they're eating, like, bugs and, like, pus splurts out. Oh. They open up uh, beetles. beetles. There's, like, eyeball soup for no reason. All this stuff is probably nothing <laughs> that anyone ever ate. Uh, they cut it. open a snake, and the snake eggs are in there, and they just, like, pop out. <laughs> It's a pregnant fucking snake. Uh, monkey brains. Never forget that was dessert. Yeah, finally for dessert, they open up some monkey skulls and just like kind of pop them off cleanly like they're fucking bowls or something. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, but yeah, you're totally right. Like they're eating like raw like animals. Like they're gonna get zoonotic diseases. <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah. it worse than all that human blood they've been drinking? I don't know what, but this is definitely going to be ground zero for something. <laughs> could be uh, patient one. could be one of them. <laughs> no. Maybe that random weird fat guy that they just make fun of. Could have been a very different movie. Yeah. <laughs> Becomes pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I honestly could not get through that scene when I was a kid. I'd always run away. 
See, I just find the effects kind of, like, dumb. I don't know. They never convinced me. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's even appealing to kids because it, according to Wikipedia, it got, like, a PG-13 rating and, like, they made a special rating for it. Right, this is the movie that invented PG-13 or they had to invent it for. Are you shitting me? <laughs> this this movie, Temple of Doom, made PG-13? Well, it's kind of weird how ratings worked uh, yeah. back in the old days. Was it just um, PG to R was the only option? So this was like too gruesome for just PG. Yeah, and also PG was actually a lot more lenient. Like they would have like nudity and no one would really care back in the old days uh, mm-hmm. for people clamped down or something. Maybe not like sexual nudity, but just like people with their shirts off or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And anyway, this one with its depiction of violence and just like over the top uh, people playing beating cards out of people's chests and whatever. And they were just like, this is too intense, Spielberg. And we had to create some, like, delineation between the levels of violence. Mm-hmm. Though I feel like then after that, uh, PG-13 became kind of tame, and then maybe most R-rated movies are really what PG-13 probably should have been. Mm. Just like if you have a gunfight or something, it shouldn't be R necessarily. I don't know, depending on the film. Yeah. Like Die Hard. Die Hard is a perfect example. Why is Die Hard rated R? Not for any real reason. It's for its depiction of terrorism, Pablo. <laughs> it's because Alan Rickman's too good in it, and they're like, no one will want to see it unless it's rated R, and then I'll know it's like oh. adult, sophisticated humor. <laughs> it's because uh, he says, uh, yippee motherfucker, once. Uh, yeah, that gets an um, automatic R. <laughs> I don't know. Mr. Willis. But yeah, definitely this uh, little despot boy uh, picked that dinner menu. Uh, so after this, there's some like excruciating scene that's almost as bad as uh, Padme and Anakin between uh, Indiana Jones and Willie. We're just kind of like interminably flirting. It's just like, not will they, won't they? It's like they definitely won't. It's just please don't. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> I think in my, note it, my notes it's captured as Shitty seduction sequence. <laughs> Good alliteration. <laughs> I, I called it gross romance. Ew, gross, Indy. <laughs> make out. He's like Denny in the room. He's like, can I watch? <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> Denny in the room is supposed to be a teenager, even though he's obviously like a 25-year-old man. Uh, it's definitely very similar to You've Got Mail. Uh Indiana's like nagging her the whole time. He's just like, oh, you, you stupid lady, or whatever he says. He doesn't say it like that, but. <laughs> he says, shut up, I, I wrote at some point. Um, oh, no, he is Sean was. Connery's son. <laughs> He's oh, like, sometimes she... a lady needs to be. <laughs> get slapped oh, around. no, needs to be slapped around. Um, and she says, I could have been your greatest adventure, I think. Which was some ter- One of them had some terrible line. Yeah, I guess that was her. And he's like, lady, I saw the hand of God or whatever. And people's faces melting. No, that's in the future. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Marty, <laughs> we gotta go back. <laughs> There's no time. I kind of found their, like, uh, interaction similar to, like, Romancing the Stone. But I think the movies came out around the same time. That's the Catherine Hepburn movie where it's almost like the exact same dynam- dynamic. This and Michael, her and Michael Douglas, yeah. just kind of like argue, fighting, uh, flirting, and they just have like very similar adventures. I mean, obviously uh-huh. that movie was ripping off the first Indiana Jones, but I'm just like, did this somehow back rip off that movie for this? 
So I just want to address like what comes after this because I greatly enjoyed it. As an adult and as a child, the scene that bridges the shitty seduction sequence to the, you know, the Dark Temple of Doom um, a little later when they pass through the secret passageway um, after like <laughs> pressing that statue's boobs to open it up. Yeah. And then there's like booby traps and bugs and a roof with spikes and a collapse and that whole thing. Whoa, uh -huh. gross. Sick. <laughs> That was, if, if there's a part of this movie that captures the childlike imagination, gross out humor, and, you know, action tension, I would say, like, that, I don't know, five to ten minute section did it most successfully. It synthesizes it. Yeah. It's totally radical. And it's out of control. It's, it's the ball rolling, or the rock rolling scene sequence of this movie. Yeah, for sure. The giant giant boulder right yeah set piece <laughs> um but it also comes after uh basically she's like you couldn't handle it and then they go to each other's rooms like just out of spite to kind of just like spite freeze out each other oh yeah and at some point he like runs into her room and oh this is after he like fends off a thuggy guard who's like trying to kill him somehow nobody <laughs> notices a lot of garroting in this movie <laughs> or attempted garroting like does lucas also have a garroting thing because job of the hut dies oh. the same way Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's just like fondling the monkey statue. And she's just like, what? You can have me. I'm right here. I'm better than a monkey statue. And he's like, are you? But then he eventually finds the hidden passage. <laughs> it is very much uh, how Janet described. just like full of all the icky bugs. It's great. Again, for some reason, I don't know, just like the tone. Somehow the way they did it in the first movie where they like did come across ancient passages filled with snakes or maybe rats in the later movie. Uh, somehow that was more realistic. This one just felt like overdone. It's like every single gross bug. <laughs> yeah, it was like multiple species. I don't even. I didn't even write all the types. It's like centipedes. But it also. Yes, yeah, centipedes and everything. It bugs. just felt like how the bats were. Like where it's just like here's a shot of things moving completely separate from the rest of like what's going on. I, I, yeah, just kind of like random shots of like they just threw out a bunch of bugs on the ground. <laughs> they got their creepy crawlers. It's very twelve-year-old boy uh, in inspiration. Um, not to like mess with the suspension of disbelief, but like, how are all those bugs surviving? Like, what were they eating? Corpses? Other victims? <laughs> Other people who just happened to stay in that palace and wondered what a monkey's boob might feel like. <laughs> How many people is there? <laughs> and, and then later they get into the temple and the thuggy guards are just like, why don't you just take the front door? It's right there. <laughs> in the giant front door that's over there. Oh my God. Avoid this whole thing. What if that's actually just their nice like bug <laughs> motel? Like they're cultivating the local fauna. Yeah, perfect. They're growing it for food. Uh, but also it's a nice pleasant experience for the bugs. Oh yeah. Die of natural causes. It's a literal roach motel. It's a hotel for roaches <laughs> and praying manti and yeah, exactly. butterflies and whatever ridiculous thing. Um, what else was in there? So it's all the bugs and then there's a room of spikes. At some point, somehow Short Round gets roped into this again. Uh, he probably should, would have been better off just sleeping it off. But he's there. Uh, mm -hmm. And then somehow yeah. they get locked into this uh, pit with a slowly descending spike. 
And just like every fucking scene like this, even though they should have been crushed in five seconds, somehow it takes like a protracted sequence. You can obviously see where the like the level is, mm-hmm. and it's not it's never matching. Like based on how fast it's going at the mm-hmm. beginning, and they should have been dead in like a minute. <clears throat> but somehow they like, right? have the time to like shout for Willie, and she like comes down and feels around into another buggy uh, crevice until she can like open the door for her, for them. It's like the it, it should be called like the last uh, ten the ten second countdown like time distortion where it's like they definitely should be dead, but it's like the movie it like expands the amount of time they have to do all this stuff at the very end to like see exactly themselves. so it causes you stress because you know that like they would normally be dead, but. And, you know, they just have this magic of the They use Hermione's time, time turner and just like <laughs> add 10 more minutes so they can survive every encounter later on. That'd be a cool yes. game mechanic actually. <laughs> right. Let's trademark that. Let's put a pin in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And then hilariously somehow uh, Willie fucks up saving them so then they're trapped again uh, and they figure out some way to get out the other way. Oh, yeah, her ass bumps the right. trap oh, yeah, again. Oh, yeah, her big fat ass. I'm just kidding. <laughs> her, her beautiful <laughs> booty. And Indiana Jones is stuffing anything he can find into the, like, gears to try to jam it up. He puts his, like, hat. He throws his, like, whip into there. He crushes his revolver in there. Uh, he takes off his shoes. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, another thing I hate about this movie is it is, like, hyper-compressed. I feel like the other movies definitely did a better job of making it seem as if they took place across days, like had an epic journey. This one feels more like they had one bad uh, night, like a bad nightmare almost feeling to it. Like they literally come out into like a hellscape imagery of like just like dark reds and fire and brimstone. And of course, Indy is immediately zeroing in on the uh, stones. He's like, I need those fucking marvelous magic stones. Give me that stone juice. And I will say that the Kali statue is pretty cool. You should try to painstakingly drag that out piece by piece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we have the famous scene where... Uh, I don't even know where they say his name, but basically the villain of the piece uh, does sacrifice a human by pulling his still-beating heart out of his chest again is very 12 year old boy uh and then he burns the man alive for reasons at which point the stones start glowing which i was like oh man this is foreshadowing that's actually alien tech that's powered by human life force mm. oh my god they were the precursors to the crystal <laughs> exactly skull. if only i knew what that was <laughs> genius stuff I, I like that that would have been a good retcon I would have actually appreciated that a little more. <laughs> but here's here's where I always so okay, death magic, beating heart, ripping out of a guy's chest, badass. That's cool. all great. That's all, all perfect. good stuff. That's perfect Leave as, that in as the movie. is. Um, but here's here's the problem. So they're sacrificing him. They're burning him up into a pit of volcano lava. So they're mining a volcano. And they're alive? Like, they're okay? Like, what the hell's going on here? Where are they? This palace and this mining operation is all on top of a volcano. (laughs) It all makes perfect sense. (laughs) Okay. That's, like, where my disbelief 
That's where my suspension ends. Right. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, India's only active volcanoes oh. is uh, is located in Barren Island of Andaman, which is the also the only confirmed active volcano in South Asia. So where is this volcano? Apparently, they were in mainland, like in the mainland of the Indian subcontinent. <laughs> so I'm having trouble believing this premise here. <laughs> Well, no, it's simple. You just get in a plane for leaving Shanghai at this bearing. Uh, you leap out over the mountains. You leap out on a inflatable raft. You just slide down the hill, and then the oldest man ever will meet you there, and then he'll just tell you how to go there. You go there, and then you discover this whole operation. Oh, my God, it's Narnia! <laughs> yeah, it's Narnia. yeah it's, it's some sick version no. of Narnia Except. involving slave labor and human sex. Instead of a closet, it's a chicken plane. It's a chicken plane. <laughs> Welcome to the chicken plane. <laughs> Love it. One thing I do like wow. about this movie is there's loads more whip use, more innovative versions of using the whip. Like he'll like snap onto something and use it to drag himself around. Grab a woman. He'll grab a woman. I hear you have to do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure at what point it happened, but I I wrote that Indy has to mm. have a shirtless mm-hmm. scene. Like there's I some did read that for whatever reason, Harrison Ford worked out a lot more for this one than the previous one, so he is a lot more ripped out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so he got yeah. less ripped over time. <laughs> he learned that you didn't have to work out all the glamour muscles. <laughs> that really having some like biceps and a solid core would be fine. <laughs> solid. <laughs> Functional, functional workout. It's like, I need more than 10% body fat to fight some Nazis, he said to himself. He had to fit in with the Germans when he was, like, undercover, so he had to drink more beer. Uh, So, yeah, the thuggies are definitely super racist in their depiction, very imperialist, colonial uh, horseshit for that. All right. I'm going to raise my concern about this whole cult mining operation right now. So... How will the small hands fit into the thresher? How will the small hands fit into the thresher? So the premise, and it was like blink and you miss it kind of thing, right? Is is that, okay, so there's the cult. They need the yeah. death magic. They're totally like using these magic rocks and all the human sacrifice. Whoa. Sorry, girl. It's intense stuff. Yeah, to power, to, to, to like, you know, get 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 their Kali get Kali all happy and stuff because Kali's into death um, and destruction Allegedly. and whatnot. So then how does the mining operation fit into this whole scheme? You know, how does that, what are they mining for? I know they said that they there were two more magic rocks, like the ones the villagers had somewhere right, the five in there. Thanos, uh, soul stones. Yeah, because as a, a devoted stones. follower had uh-huh. buried them somewhere in the mountain, somehow deep enough to be mined for later. No question logic. Um, you know. So, so okay, I get that. Let's say we accept it. A, is that all they're mining for? That's a lot of effort, right? And B, why are all their miners children who are drugged out on weird death blood? Why didn't they steal some grown-ass men? <laughs> or women. But, like, why children? They're the weakest. Uh. <laughs> well, it's very simple. It's, uh, you know, a ten-point plan 
First, you go to some remote village and steal all their children. Then you find an active volcano in India, which, as we previously agreed, is pretty much impossible. Then you build a palace on top of said volcano, <laughs> making sure you have lots of convoluted secret passages they had to pass through every time you want to go there. Then you kidnap a bunch of other men unrelated to the children and sacrifice them alive to some god for, uh, for some dormant cults that hadn't been existing since 1835. Uh, and then you profit. Right. I still, I feel like they weren't being efficient. Sorry. Wait. I honestly have no, I guess I just tuned it out. I have no idea, like, who was the head of this whole operation. I don't even know when they say it. It's some guy called Mola Ram or something like that. But I was paying attention. I swear they never really say it. Like, maybe at some point at the very end, he's like, <laughs> you said you wanted to meet Collier, and then says his name. But I swear he doesn't. He's just, like, kind of nameless throughout the movie. Yeah. Since, you know, uh, uh-huh. uh, characters of color don't need to be introduced or, like, have names or anything. Right. Oh my or have, God. like, motivations that make any sense. And it kind of seems like it's a one-man operation unless there was a twist and secretly he was being controlled, too. Which would be great. By, like, a nameless, faceless, like, not even a character. By Palpatine. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Fantastic. So was everyone at the gross out dinner evil? Aware of the death cult? They all come back and they're all evil, but then you're like, did they drink the uh black sleep or are they just uh, you know, freelance evil? Oh yeah. Alright, I think we could suss it out. So I know the the child king or whatever. He's blood he's was under the Yeah, he's been drinking the blood. Right, they say that. But I think all the adults were just evil for free. Okay, that makes sense. I think they were just evil for fun. And the British colonialists were in on it too. Yeah, they're uh, well, no, they show up at the end to fight them. They're oh explicitly God, right. uh, good. Pro-colonialists, right? Yeah. At the end, they take. That's them why out. I wrote that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so then they discover, oh of course, Doctor Jones when he's trying to get the stones. Uh, they impound uh or impress short round into their slave forces uh there's some good exposition with a slave boy who just kind of tells short round everything he needs to know and us and short round tells indiana jones about the blood thing he's like don't drink it dr jones saving the day again yeah short round having um other kids to talk to it actually proved invaluable yeah no he uses detective skills yeah short round's the best uh and then there's a hilarious scene where dr jones is doing everything he can to not drink the blood it's like spitting it out he's pursing his mouth he's like throwing it over his shoulder into the plant um i want to note in this whole mess where you know dr jones is captured or whatever there's a particularly and this bothered me because it was mixing racisms that don't belong together. There was a scene where the blood hypnotized king boy is using voodoo, a voodoo doll, a voodoo doll of, of Indy to yeah, inflict yeah. pain on him. And it just like, why is he doing voodoo? <laughs> he takes that little action figure of Indiana Jones that you can buy yourself at your local uh, market. And he starts playing with it, and it's, like, lots of fun. And also there's a, uh underground volcano fortress playset you can also buy. It's like Just they... buy it, kids. 
They didn't even bother to oh. like explain. They're just like, just throw all the evil shit in there. They probably do that, right? Yeah, yeah, they probably do that. <laughs> if if you combine two um, racist uh, stereotypes or whatever, then it's like at least it's t- at least ten times more offensive. <laughs> That's true. Just look at uh, fucking Jar yeah. Oh my gosh. Racism and Jamaican caricature. Oh, hold on. Wait, my notes have something about the gemstone trade. Were they mining gems, other gems besides the magic rocks? Oh, maybe they were in on that Shanghai adventure as well. No. <laughs> of course, this ties it all together. It wasn't just a random out of nowhere sequence. <laughs> Uh, and then everyone in the audience is really sad and wondering where Short Round is because, of course, he's just like doing slave labor. Uh. <laughs> Wait, theory. Sorry, I'm answering my own question here. In my notes, does the cult need to use children as the slaves because they keep sacrificing the adult men? Probably. They seem like <laughs> a pretty stupid cult. Oh. Uh-huh. depiction of them. Huh. Anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of child abuse in this movie, though. And you guys should all be worried, because Willie's definitely going to write a poor TripAdvisor review (laughs) for her trip to this magical palace. Do not go to this castle. The worst food. (laughs) A white woman is put into peril. Uh, She is about to be sacrificed. Uh, again, this is all very much like a nightmare or something, nightmare logic. It's just kind of going uh, full steam ahead without stopping or like trying to explain more about the plot. It's just like, you will enjoy the plot, kids. Just watch whatever the fuck happens. So Indiana Jones is at this point brainwashed. Uh, and it kind of makes her realize that Harrison Ford doesn't really do that well as a bad guy. I prefer seeing him as a heroic type. Just kind of angry, right? Yeah. Just kind of angry and sweaty, kind of. Yeah, he's angry and sweaty the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Cut off my plane. So basically, just a grumpy. He's like a grumpier version of himself. Where are my residuals? <laughs> when he's under the blood hypnosis or whatever we're calling it. No, I don't want to be Han Solo again. <laughs> he's a mentally enslaved white man, and that's the worst thing you could do. Oh no, his agency's been taken away. <laughs> uh, so the kid outsmarts his way uh, from being imprisoned, which is pretty badass. Mm-hmm. He just like climbs mm-hmm. and uh, manages to break his shackles. He burns Indy. Yeah, Shorty is doing great. He burns Indy, which is oh, what yeah. snaps him out of his hypnosis. Oh no, that's horrifying. So then all those people they burn? And he says snap back to like they come back just to then. it just before they die <laughs> oh no oh, that's the worst cult that's awful I've, <laughs> I've been in cult both as a member and as a leader they say cool. <laughs> um and shorty says that he's like wake up indy you're my best Aww. friend very sweet <laughs> Uh, but I don't know why he's best friends with Angry Indy. Ooh, you make me feel. What if they were playing that during the lava scene? That'd be great. Short round should have been the next <laughs> Indy. Sorry, but screw Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> it should have been short round. 
Yeah, by the way, if they ever had made an Indiana Jones 4, which of course they did, never did, uh, they definitely had a missed opportunity where they could have just cast someone as short round, grown up version. They could have just explained like, whatever adventures he'd been up to in between the other movies. And he'd just be a total badass. But, uh, you know, Hollywood's never going to do that. So instead they went with literally the worst actor ever. And and had the gall to call him uh, Indy's biological son, even though nothing in the series bears that out. I assume that uh, him and Marion use rubbers every single time. <laughs> it's the retcon. <laughs> it's the wrath of. It's the wrath of Khan. If they dare make a fifth, they better have short round come back as, you know. The uh, what do you call it when it's like somebody the spiritual successor? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. They could have done that. They could have done lots of things. Maybe he studied archaeology, too. Started stealing shit back. Yeah, he's an archaeology professor now. He's, like, stealing stuff back from all those British people who stole it from the original places originally. It was bad. (laughs) Oh, my God. It starts with him stealing Indiana Jones' whip and hat from his grave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this wasn't very realistic. Somehow Short Round uh, grabs a sword or... Maybe he doesn't even have a sword. He's just somehow over overpowering five different guards who are holding swords. He's just like, what? I guess he has like martial arts skills or something that he whips out sometimes. <laughs> uh, so we also find out that the evil kid wasn't evil after all, uh, because short round does the old Bernie t- Bernie him trick to to the kid, and he snaps out of his uh-huh. uh, hypnosis as well. <clears throat> so after this, we have the Minecraft minecart chase. Which is definitely the best scene in the movie. The Minecraft, the Minecraft scene yeah. where everyone gets turned pixelated uh, avatars. Uh, it's definitely not dated that well, uh, or not aged that well, because you could definitely tell it's puppets, and they do some weird like speed ramping of the actual footage, uh, which makes the whole thing feel kind of queasy. But it's still a really exciting and well done scene, and I can't believe I kept missing it every single time I saw it on TV. It wasn't until I think I got these on DVDs that I was like, oh, well, it's the best scene in the movie. What the hell? I was 100% expecting, like, the whole childhood for that minecart scene to become a roller coaster. It should have been. Never happened. Could have been Space Mountain. To my knowledge. Oh, yeah. It's not a... I was going to ask if it's any sort of ride anywhere. No, but it clearly inspired the same level from uh, Donkey Kong, the minecart scene in that game. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, there's lots of antics between them and these two guards, and they're just like leaping across different mines, mine carts, uh, jumping over things. Uh, you know, de- definitely lots of obstacles, uh, more volcano imagery, and it's huge. More boy being imperiled. There's like so much track wow. too. It makes you wonder how big this mining operation yeah. really is. Indy says, "Don't lose your heads," and then they get their heads knocked off. You know, crap like that. Hilarious uh-huh. stuff. <laughs> uh, it's actually a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. At some point, they get and dumped it's like out of their cart, and then they're just like running away from a wall of water, which I guess was released at some point, which is also very reminiscent of the boulder scene from the first movie, just like them running away from a wall of some natural force. Earth, water. Water. Mm-hmm. Should have been wind. fire and wind in the next ones. Also, uh, wind and fire sounds horrifying. Ooh, how about just combine the two and make some sort of fire tornado? 
Ooh, a fire tornado. I like oh that. My God. Back to the Indiana Jones. Just make fire tornado four. Just go to Australia wildfires or something. Terrible. <laughs> Too real. Fire sharknado. Too, Too real. Sorry. Yeah. It has nothing to do with archaeology. <laughs> There's actually a funny callback to uh, the scene from the first Indiana Jones where he just shoots the guy with the sword. Uh, so in this one, there's two guys with swords, and he just uh, goes to do the same thing. But again, uh, they're always losing their stupid guns, so he like reaches for his holster and it's empty. And then he does just have to actually fight them off. And apparently in the first movie, that was just improvised because Harrison Ford didn't feel up to doing it, so they just went with that instead. Oh my god. Um, they just run from the enemies who are trying to shoot them, which somehow works. Hmm. That sounds great. Have you tried running? Yeah, they have amazing protagonist armor. Uh, so at, throughout the sequence, Harrison Ford's shirt gets continually ripped away somehow. Until he's just showing Jack Chili. As one does. As one does. Uh-huh, he's the uh-huh. sweatiest and the shirtlessness. And naturally, they end up on a precarious, rickety bridge over crocodiles or alligators, or whatever they are. What happens there? They like there's a standoff, and then the more British come to the rescue. Is that what happens? Not even. There's just a really dumb standoff. They go to the middle of the bridge. There's cult members chasing after them, and there's cult members in front of them. And somehow, there's uh, Indy and the rest of them just lure these guards onto the bridge. And then, I don't even remember, is it Short Round who comes up with the idea? Probably. Let's just say it was Short Round, comes up with the idea that should hold on to the oh. bridge while Indy cuts it away. And even more innocent puppets die as they're, like, rained down into the water where they're ripped apart by the hungry uh, crocodiles, let's say. Yeah, I was like, how many people died by Indy's hand? How many innocent puppets, Erica? <laughs> <laughs> Those puppets didn't do anything to anyone. It'd be hilarious. So how many stones did they actually steal? He just wanted one. Three? But they took three, yeah. Uh, yeah. They had three total. Well, one to the village, one one for Indiana Jones' personal collection, (laughs) private reserve, and then one to go to the museum. And then what uh, what about the other two from the story? Are they just presumably in the mining area? Yeah, that's never resolved. Cool. It's been buried somewhere. So here's a thing. I'm going to flash forward really quick because I have a question posing to the group. So the stone's magic powers don't work unless... You believe. You yeah. have the faith of a No, one. unless they're in the possession of somebody who's good or evil. So if they're lost and nobody's so like the wanting precious. them, they don't do anything. But when they're in the hands of like an evil cult, then they're like super evil and they kill stuff. But if they're in some random village, they make agriculture. Well, magic stones don't kill people. People kill people. How do they influence agriculture? That's why I think this magic stones legislation should never pass, and we should all have access to magic stones and however many magic stones. By yeah, the, way, the magic Indiana stone uses... didn't do anything. No, that's not true. Indiana uses the magic stones it. at the end to, to actually uh, defeat Molar Ram. That's how he wins. He turns the magic against him. Oh, wow. wow, I just blocked that from my I memory, I guess. Yeah, he just, like, hypnotizes him <laughs> with the stone. What? So, how did... Wait, but that still doesn't answer the question. So, they 
they do all this thing. It's still like a day's journey or two back to that village where they were returning one of the stones to. How was the village already back and green and thriving if the stone hadn't been returned? Maybe the important part is that the cult isn't actively using the stones for evil. And also the children are released from their forced labor. So the stones care about the kids, mm. too. And the British are like, oh, we have no problem with children laborers. It's just like, don't do it this uh, <laughs> brazenly or something. I don't know. We have lots of children. Maybe it's factories. Maybe it's because it's the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I think your questions would all be answered. That's why it suddenly looks good. Yeah. <laughs> remembered that it's the Matrix and the whole movie takes place within the Matrix <laughs> universe. Um, I also loved when they're hanging off the bridge and the bad guy's trying to crawl up just like they're fighting on this fucking rickety ass bridge just kind of hilarious like kicking and throwing limbs and just like throwing elbows and there's randomly uh indies able to better him so he falls Aww. into the uh, abyss doesn't he straight up kick him into the cliff water like in into the cliff and into the alligator <laughs> water or the croc water it's or extremely heroic yeah <laughs> Um, I didn't like, one thing I didn't like was there's, like, parallel scenes of, like, Shorty and Indy both fighting and being all masculine or whatever. And so it's like Shorty was, like, learning the ways of toxic masculinity from Indy, and I didn't really like that. Yeah, short round's already ruined. (laughs) Uh, The colonists show up to put down these savages, uh, so that's good. Oh, yeah. My God, jeez. We find out. Yeah, basically, it's like propaganda. Yeah, no, definitely. It's propaganda for Britain. (laughs) Yeah, bizarre. (laughs) All of uh, Spielberg and Lucas's British financiers were like, you have to do a pro British Empire message. (laughs) I had to do an anti Indian uh, revolution and freedom movement message. You You have to save them from themselves, or else they'll just all kill themselves in a death cult in a way aren't the real monsters the villagers if you think about it (laughs) but also the prime minister weren't all those people implicated what happened yeah damn because they were all um, buddy buddy with the british weren't they well maybe you can assume they were all being hypnotized and they all reverted to being normal And actually, that would have been a creepier storyline if they had had, like, explicitly scenes of uh, Mola Ram or whatever taking people over. Could have been, like, a slow build. Invasion of Body Snatchers type. Could have been, like, one. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Uh, And very uncharacteristically, at the end, Indiana Jones is like, yeah, you can have the stone instead of what he would really say, which is it belongs in a museum. And then he'd just start punching them. Until everything was in a museum. (laughs) What? For his benefit. Well, anyway, after this one, in the part three, uh, they definitely revert to form. And that might even be as good as the first one. Just a lot more Nazi killing and uh, Christian-themed magic, like we all come to expect from this series. Of course, Sean Connery gets added in. Uh, Well, what do you think the children's lives were like afterwards? Because, like, do they remember what they did? Because I think they, like, overthrew their oppressors, like, killed the guards and stuff at some point. And then they're just, like, returned to go live in their village. Well, nobody talks about what happened during the uprising. But then, yeah, they just go back to their childhoods. Yeah. 
Um, so. I didn't get any indication from Indy that he had any uh, awareness of what he was doing. It's probably like how when you get hypnotized on a magician's act, and they send you to murder a bunch of people, and then only later yeah. do you learn about it after the fact. Of course. <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah. What else? Uh, yeah, I really don't know what happened here. It seemed like they really slipped, uh, slipped up and dropped the ball. Yeah, I think this is a cautionary tale of how not to do anthropology or archaeology. Just go in there, shoot everybody, steal their treasure, and then write a fancy <laughs> paper about it later so you can get uh, funding. A publication. <laughs> yeah, and funding to do more. Can I be co-author on this publication, please? <laughs> <laughs> I killed so many people. <laughs> I killed so many people to get this. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to get oh tenure. He just wants to be a tenured professor. <laughs> That's what he's doing this for. For <laughs> tenure. Instead Jeez. of being an adjunct or whatever. He's trading in blood diamonds in order to get tenure. <laughs> Wait. How the fuck does he get? But Well, it doesn't matter how he gets back, but... Do you think he does spin this into his, like, professorship shit later? Probably. Yeah, he knows everything now about uh. this death cult that no one's heard of for a hundred years. Uh-huh. It's just so weird that it never comes up again. Super for good weird. reason. I think they course-corrected after this one and thought to themselves, wow, we went really racist with it. Really stupid and kid-like. Was it racist at the time? Like, did people feel bad about it? I mean, not as much, but yeah. I 80s. mean, they were doing blackface in the 80s. Uh, yeah, I guess there were different levels. I'm not saying was it ra- was it's still racist, right? I'm just saying, like, compared to what was happening. like. Are you talking about, like, trading places? Yeah, I was just watching that on TV with my mom the other uh, in December. It's definitely a bad exa- I mean, a good example of bad blackface. But for some reason, since Eddie Murphy's in it, he probably signed off on it. Is I guess the takeaway? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like Eddie Murphy's okay with it. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh no. Um I assume at this point I, George Lucas's wife wasn't like editing his movies and coming up with all the ideas and writing it and all that. <laughs> Whatever she did for all his she, good movies. Isn't oh, no. isn't the big bad in this movie like a lawyer or some shit in India? All right, so of all um, the Indiana Jones movies, I definitely feel like it did not care for this one that much. Yeah, I pretty much have nothing more to say about this one. <laughs> Should have made a roller coaster. Should have been a roller coaster, or maybe a themed snack pack. <laughs> yeah, like a theme park adventure, encapsulated mini adventure, like um, like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, but without the movies. <laughs> like Pirates Booty, the ride. Mm. A 4D you sound like Scorsese <laughs> being like, it's just a ride. It's just a well, no, this one really was a ride. Like, ride. it had nothing deeper to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, the first and the third one are definitely against Nazism and extreme, like, extremism. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe this one is, is, uh, is as well, but in a very stupid way. This one's against fictional Indian death cults. Right. Don't. This one's pro nationalism and fascism and colonialism and yeah, just as long as you're not a Nazi. <laughs> but it's just really actually about zoonotic disease. It just doesn't um, <laughs> hey. say that. They all have brain parasites from eating monkey brains. <laughs> right, uh, and drinking the blood. They didn't have fridges in the 1930s. They couldn't have been that chill. So they were like spreading <laughs> the disease like zombies, but like through 
I guess through blood. They didn't have lead-lined refrigerators until the 1950s. <laughs> when people could conveniently crawl inside them and be blasted away. <laughs> As a bunker. <laughs> but yeah, they definitely should have made part four uh, Short Round's adventure. <laughs> and he has lots of sex for some reason. I'd watch that. Uh, but yeah, the guy who played Short Round actually had a pretty good career after this. Uh, he's showing up in The Goonies and a bunch of other good films. I think also uh, some of the Hughes films. Huh. It's good for him. Good honest work. And like, uh, I guess the Kate lady didn't didn't do that much. No. But she's still married to Spielberg, apparently. Oh, maybe it was worth it then. That that's his current wife. They have like seven kids together Whoa. or something. I just read. All right, I take back every mean thing I said about Temple of Doom. It was it's worth it to insane. see those crazy kids have a happy life. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, there are seven children in the Spielberg uh, Capshaw family. And if they ever get pregnant again, they refute it. They're like, it has to be seven. <laughs> oh, God. For creepy reason. I met a guy who had seven kids today. You did? Yeah. It's weird. He seemed really tired. That makes sense. Like, really tired. wonder how Spielberg does, did it, does it. There's septuplets. That's why he's got to keep turning out those movies, that guy. Oh, and Lawrence Kasdan, who has worked on a lot of the good uh, Spielberg-Lucas collaborations, didn't write for this one. Uh, he, like, could have, but he turned it down. So who knows? He might have gotten a way better movie. Oh, well. Oh. Womp womp. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts on Temple of Doom? Uh it gets two out of five severed human hearts ripped out of chest for me. I'd give it an Uber 2.5. Yeah, Uber 2.5. I don't know. It was I feel like, entertaining, but uh, too racist. Yeah. I. It was, it was yeah, good pacing. It's, it's too uncomfortable to be, or too awkward to like be enjoy, too enjoyable. It's too dark and nihilistic and pro-colonialism. <laughs> Yeah. Didn't have any fun Nazi murders. And honestly, all I really remember is the gross-out food scene. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like the other ones had more memorable, memorable iconography and lines and, I don't know, just sequences. You think the heart thing was iconic? What the yeah, heart that thing? one scene. So the heart thing, the mine cart scene, uh, maybe the Shanghai sequence, I'm not sure. Some good stuff. No. Too much bullshit. Uh, and that was Temple of Doom. Wild ride of bullshit. Wild <laughs> ride of bullshit. <laughs> All right. And for that, this has been Sin Amazing Chats, episode 24, Temple of Doom. I've been Pablo. Good chatting with you. And Erica. And Janet. Good chatting with y'all. <laughs> <laughs>